This is God's word. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions to the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra, young children will put their hands to the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for his peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thanks, I invite you to pray with me. Our gracious God, we come to you in this time and we look for your, um, for your presence to break in and break through in a sometimes dark world as uh, the news troubles us, and sometimes the things going on in our lives, in our family, neighborhoods, and with our friends bothers us. And we come in carrying all of that this morning. And as we do that, we also come from all kinds of different places. We could sit here and we could have um, sadness and grief that we're processing this morning. And someone right next to us or behind us um, has joy because of answered prayers. And someone right behind them might have great doubt that any of this is true and that they should be here at all. <laughs> we come from all these scattered, fragmented places. And the truth is we're all the same, though, in one crucial way. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We don't want others to know how broken, frail, and fragmented our devotion is. And this morning we come to a story the story that says, you're a God who moves towards broken and fragmented lives. We desperately need that and want that to be true, and I pray that you would help us to believe it this morning, that you, through your Son, Jesus, took on the fragmentation and brokenness to bring us finally home, to make us whole, to bring us healing, and to give us hope. Speak to us now through that hope, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> talking about rallying for peace this morning. And peace is a, an important thing that you probably come in here this morning and you can stop right now and think, where in your life do you wish there was peace? Where in your life, where in, your, in this world, as you, as you look at this world and the world around you, where do you wish there was peace? Maybe in your inner life. Maybe in your 
family life, maybe in your work life, maybe in your friendships, maybe in your marriage. Where do you wish there was peace? And do you believe that it could happen? Do you have hope that it will arrive? We talked, um, we threw it out there as a question last week. The biggest kind of piece you can talk about, you know, the the um, Miss America speech kind of piece, you know, is world peace possible? Um, and the answers that came in said things like, yes, emphatically yes. Another person said, only when Jesus comes again. Actually, that was a couple times. Someone says, unless we all have the mind of Christ, no. Someone else said, yes, it's achievable through common understanding. And someone else said, human nature as it is, no. But we can achieve relative peace. What do you think? Is it a fantasy to to hope for and long for peace in your life? When Walt Disney in 1955 was going to open his big theme park, um, he, you know, there were various celebrities there in attendance for the big kickoff. And <clears throat> Billy Graham, you know, the old famous preacher, was there, and it was caught on tape that he had turned to Walt and, and honestly and, and complimentary, uh, complimentary-wise said, hey, Walt, this is a great fantasy land you got here. And Walt kind of snapped. It was caught on tape, and he said... You know, you preachers always get it wrong. That's not the fantasy in there. The fantasy's out, out there. In here, in Disneyland, this is reality. And now, you know, you've got to point out a couple things. I mean, on the one hand, you've got to, I've got to take the preacher's side and say, you know, um, Walt, I'm sorry, Dumbo doesn't fly. Um, <laughs> You know, so there's that side of it, right? But on the other hand, you have to um, you have to grapple with what's going on there. You know, you have to grapple with the fact that, yeah, why do we have these dreams and hopes? Where do they come from? The hope and the dream and the imagining of world peace. Who whoever said world peace is possible? Whoever said peace in general is possible? Isn't doesn't every headline? Go contrary to that? Isn't all the evidence laid out before us that it's a fantasy, or is it? And how do you explain the very... It almost isn't how do you explain conflict and war and fighting and and, uh, division. How do you explain the fact that we somehow still believe that peace is possible? Where do you get your explanation for hope? These are big questions when it comes to peace. Is it a fantasy or not? And as the prophet Isaiah comes up with this prophecy amidst a lot of words of judgment and a lot of words of toppling forests with an axe, comes this stump analogy, the stump of Jesse. Out of it, a stem will come, the root of Jesse. What what on earth is going on here? What did the people of Israel who were at the time in exile and things were not looking good, what did they think he meant when he talked about the stump of Jesse and the stem growing up? Well, it wasn't Jesse so much as it was the son of Jesse, David. Jesse had seven sons, and the youngest of which was David. And when he was first identified way, way, way back in the ancient history of the people of Israel, he was identified as this young shepherd boy who would become the king. And he did grow up 
as a sort of shoot that became this huge tree of life, the people of Israel finally felt like they arrived with a peaceful kingdom when David was king. So to talk about his, in biblical language and parlance, to talk about Jesse is really to refer to this thriving realm of the kingship of King David when God's people had peace in the land. And so this prophecy says to these oppressed, exiled, hopeless people, it says, David is coming again. There's another David. There will be a new dynasty. And it'll be a place of peace and thriving even more than the first one. So, again, really? You can imagine the skepticism of the day. We're we're being carted off to exile. Um, We're not going to have a vote in the new country. We're going to be, you know, basically ancient apartheid will be in place for the people of Israel. Are they crazy? Is it a fantasy? And, of course, what they could grab hold of is, no, it's not a fantasy. Why? Because their whole story and the whole story of the Bible talks about this God who um, he never grinds down stumps. You know, have you heard of a stump grinder? We had one come out to our house to get rid of a stump in the front yard. You know, when you don't want it there and you want to plant something new or you want it flat and you've cut down the tree, and those this crazy strong machine comes in and it's loud and I don't know how it does it, but it just eats up the stump into little pieces and then it's no longer there. God never grinds down stumps. Take that truth with you today as you go out into your life. God never grinds down stumps, the stumps in your life, the stump of hope that you have. God's not a stump grinding God. In fact, the Israelites in exile just would go back to this concept of God loves to be operating in where... All odds are against hope, like when the first exile had happened. The people were in slavery and apartheid in North Africa, in Egypt. And what happened? It's interesting. They were, they were freed off, and they got their way out of Egypt and out of slavery and out of oppression, and they, they beat this huge dynasty of Egypt. They got out under the arm of this, or out of the thumb of this, this oppressing force that had the most um, mighty army that the ancient world knew, and they didn't have an army, and they had a, actually a, um, a shortage of men of fighting age because of the killing of infants that Egypt did to them, and yet they got out of Egypt, and they plundered the country. That's the story of the people of Israel. Without even an army, we got out. Hope against hopes, against all odds, God can be hoped in, and so they rally with this kind of passage. Yes, we can hope. It's not a fantasy. It's not a fantasy to imagine. There will be a shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse. There will be a peace someday. We can hope. We can grab hold of it. And you and I in our world, with the headlines and with the lack of peace in your life, we can grab hold of this God who never grinds down stumps and loves to work against all odds. We can hope. There is, there is a chance Against all odds. That's how this God works. Can I get an amen? Come on. Yeah? Oh, all right. People are up in the house today. Way to go. And so, you know, we kind of rally like that and we say, yeah, let's win this piece. Let's get on board. Let's join the team, right? And then 
We read a little more carefully, and there's a few disturbing realities with this uh, piece, and we're going to look at three of them very briefly. Because this, this rallying to this banner, did you catch that? We're rallying to the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. There are some surprises here that are disturbing, and we need to grapple with them if we're going to imagine rallying to this kind of peace. And really ask ourselves, do we want this kind of peace? Do you personally want this kind of peace? And are you prepared to embody it today? And these are the surprises. First, it's a nonviolent rally. Second, it's the wrong people rally. And third, it's the rally that threatens something in all of us. It's the nonviolent rally. You know, usually we're used to this. I, I, I see a lot of this with soccer. You know, there's a banner. We still have banners today, you know. But we, if you have little kids in soccer, a lot of times there's a team banner. And everybody kind of sits around the banner. And the team kind of rallies around the banner. And then we cheer for our team. But there's always this hope, really, amidst this, this banner and rallying in this kind of way that we will just pulverize the other team. <laughs> right? There's always this kind of antagonistic. There's always this sense of, let, let's, let's get them. Let's succeed. Let's, let's beat them. It's always rallying, rallying against. Most of our rallying in our world is against, and it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, how we get kind of sucked into that in many ways in our own personal lives. <clears throat> Watching soccer games this year, you know, the first half of the season was we were in a division where we were uh, one of the worst teams, so we lost every game. It was awful to hear the other teams cheering and rallying to their banners, right? Uh, and they're cheering at the seventh goal scored against our zero. And it really hurt, right, to hear that cheering and that, ah! But then the second half of the season, we got seated in a, in a different division. Suddenly, we won every game, and we were doing the same thing to other people. And I caught myself once in a while, like, kind of turning and going, I know what that feels like. How quickly we rally to pulverize the competition. This is the non-competitive rallying. <clears throat> and that's what this kingdom is all about. You know, we read, this, <clears throat> we read this amazing picture of peace with the herbivore predators and the domesticated snakes, and you go, what is going on with this wolf and the lamb and the child and the cobra? What is going on? And it's not just a picture of all of nature is reordered someday and things work totally differently with the natural world. It's not necessarily even saying that. But what has been outlined up outlined up to this point is the predatory behavior of nations during this time period and how God's judgment was coming upon this predatory, oppressive, uh, violent way that the nations were acting. And God was intervening. And this is the picture of where God's intervention leads, where we have those you know as predators suddenly defanged and not acting in predatory ways it's a picture for us to consider that this peace is a non-competitive, non-predatory, uh, non-combative, non-divisive kind of peace. And so it, asks, it basically says, are you willing to do what it takes to venture onto that path? Is that the kind of peace you really want? I know I, it, is not, it is not second nature for me to have the non-competitive spirit when it comes to 
you know, our side, our hope, what is needed in this world, I immediately go to teams, to sides, to pulverizing, the antagonistic. This is not that kind of peace. And this passage basically asks us, if you're grabbing hold of this prince of peace that is Jesus, are you, is your life reflecting at all? Is it beginning to look at all like, not rally against, but rally together? And that brings us to the second point of Advent today, is that the, this is the wrong people rally, because it's for all. You look at Jesus, and we know that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, in Matthew chapter 5. And then what we also know about Jesus, and the early church um, knew this about his life, saw how he lived, and it was very controversial, is that he spent a lot of time with the wrong people. He, the mantra was, you, you associate with tax collectors and sinners. That's what was said about Jesus. That's basically just the list of people who it's okay to hate. <laughs> you know how every, in every group of people, every affinity group, there's always someone who it's okay to hate. It's okay to write off that group of people. Think about it for yourself. There's, almost everywhere you go, there's, there's some group that you can, you can write them off, Right? And Jesus spent a lot of time with that group or those groups in his day. Isaiah 9 actually predicts this, that when Jesus comes, when the child is born, um, and the Spirit of God descends upon him, as we read in verse 2, it leads towards this, and this is shocking for the ancient people to hear, that in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him. In the Hebrew language, that's the goyim. That's, that's the Gentiles. That's the wrong people. And so the ancient Israelites, you know, how we, you said amen with, as they would have, and you joined in with, yes. Peace is possible. I'm going to hope. And then it tells you, yes. And all the wrong people will be there too, rallying to the same one. So you have to check yourself again on this one and say, okay, this is God's peace plan in Jesus is to assemble, you know, the team of rivals. In the way of Nelson Mandela's unity cabinet or Abraham Lincoln's uh, cabinet when he was president, the team of rivals. Are you prepared to do that? Do you know that's what this rally is about? And again, Advent's asking you, is there anything tangible in your life that would show that you're living that out, that you're comfortable with that and pursuing it? Because you can be pretty sure, you know, as you wait for the second coming of Jesus, you really suppose he's going to come back and ignore all the same people you ignore? I'm going to say no. His track record goes the other way. And last, the rally that threatens something inside all of us. <clears throat> In Advent, we always look to the coming uh, of Jesus. And the uncomfortable language of this during Advent season, and we don't like this, we don't like to hear it talked about this way, is that he's coming as judge. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting 
Because Jesus came, and when he was on the cross, the early Christians saw him because when he was baptized, uh, the story was told over and over again about how this happened, that when Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, that the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Now, I don't know if anybody here has seen the Spirit of God. I'm afraid to ask because of what you might say, but... I. Honestly, I haven't. I can honestly say I have not seen the Spirit of God yet. I haven't seen that in the way that I think these people were talking about it. And the way they decided to describe it was that it, it, that it came down upon him like a dove. And the language there is, is clear that they're believing Isaiah's prophecies here are fulfilled. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, it says in Isaiah 11, verse 2. Now, when Jesus' Jesus's life ended up with him experiencing what those early Christians talked about as the judgment of God. So Jesus, the Son of God, takes on the judgment that would rightfully come on all of us and all of the world so that we can take his place and be ushered into an undeserved peace. The judge came the first time and brought gracious judgment, and he took it on himself. Now, I don't know how good you are at judging, but I'm pretty bad on it because I don't tend to judge that way. And I would rather, just about than any other judge in this world, I'd rather leave any judging that needs to be done in this world, I'd rather leave it to the one who came that way and brought that kind of gracious judgment that ushers in undeserved grace for all of us. I'll go with that judge. I'll welcome that second coming. And if we're going to um, be a part of this prince of peace who came, we see he will not judge by what his, he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. See, he's coming with judgment. He's coming with justice. And just to close on this note, we have to, we have to acknowledge that if he's going to come against wickedness and he's, he's going to come to bring justice, we have to realize the lack of justice and the presence of wickedness universally in every single one of us. That we can never actually truly rally. This is one of our problems in this world. We can never rally against the evil ones because we're so good. Because that good evil cuts right down into our very hearts. And we all need this judge to deal with us with his grace now. Are you ready to be a part of this Prince of Peace? Are you ready to rally to his banner? Maybe you're less eager to say amen at the end of all these other additions we added in here. But if you're ready to rally, I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with letting the judge bring his justice and his grace right down into your own hearts. Let us pray. God of grace, may we Hear this prophecy, and may you through your spirit do something in each of us that is gracious and that brings us closer to you. Especially now as we move in towards a time of communion, may we sense that we have a chance to connect with your grace, with your peace, and also with the forgiveness that you bring into each of our conflicted hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.